We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, John T. And my guest today is Kevin Horath. Kevin is a speaker, a pastor, and author of Factor Books, and has also worked in the healthcare human resources profession for more than 30 years. He lives with his wife and his family, two dogs and one cat in the United States. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to have you here. You've had a long career in a secular world of business application, human resources, things like that. Now you're in full-time ministry. Tell me a little bit about that journey. 30 years in healthcare, 30 years as a human resources professional. I entered the workplace at an entry-level job and worked my way up over the years and had a very rewarding career in healthcare, human resource administration. My final position was vice president of human resources for a local hospital. The hospital, as many hospitals do, they affiliated with another organization. And as I was reviewing my life, my career and ministry, I thought it was a perfect time to step away from the secular job and to move into full-time ministry. This is an interesting fact. I am now lead pastor of the church that my dad founded in 1961. Wow. And so last October, he celebrated 60 years of ministry as being the full-time lead pastor. And at that celebration, we decided to pass the torch. He's still evolved. He's still around. We now call him our bishop. But uh, I'm the lead pastor, and as of January of 2022, I'm now full-time ministry. And so it's been, a, uh, in some ways, a scary step, but it's a step of faith, and we know and trust God that this timing is right, and this is the right thing to do. With your dad being a lead pastor, you would have grown up in a Christian home. Absolutely, and in the church all my life. In some ways, like you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So uh, I've seen the whole thing. I know what it's like to be a pastor. Even as we're recording this, I've cleaned toilets, I've preached, and we teach. So I understand it comes with the, the whole spectrum of responsibilities, and I'm perfectly fine with that. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to live out his life to the world around us, right? Exactly. So growing up in the church and 
growing up in a Christian family doesn't always protect us from the things of the world. Being a pastor's kid, we always hear stories about pastor's kids and how hard it is mm. on them because there's such high standards. You're on display for everybody mm -hmm. to see. You can't hide from any faults. You can't hide from, from any mistakes, things like that. So how did you come to that faith in Christ? How did that start for you? And what were some of those challenges that you faced along your journey with God? It is somewhat like living in a fishbowl when you're the pastor's kid, but it was a privilege and an honor. And I am so thankful for that opportunity. In some respects, it was a sheltered life. Growing up in the church, I was not exposed to a lot of the things of the world. In fact, on New Year's Eve, what our church would typically do, we had a, a service uh, New Year's mm -hmm. Eve. We called it watch night. We would pray the old year out, the new year in. And then I'd go to school and I'd hear people talking about the ball dropping in New York City. Ball, what, what, what is that? I've never, <laughs> never seen that. I didn't know what that was. So kind of naive in a lot of things. I remember I accepted the Lord at a, I think it was about eight years old. I remember the, the specific time we had watched a series of films. They're kind of cheesy today as we look back on them <laughs> because it was in the seventies, a thief in the night. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Remember those images of the yeah. And I suppose in some respects, it kind of scared me. And so uh, I'd made a commitment to the Lord then, and maybe it's a little bit out of fear, but that fear turned into a love walk as time went on. And I remember, particularly in our summer youth programs, we were very active with youth camps and our church, we went, went to youth camp. And I remember one a particular summer, I didn't hear an audible voice. But I distinctly knew that God had called me into the ministry. I didn't know what it was going to be, how it was going to look like. And I was, man, full on fire for God. And so my surroundings, my parents teaching me and raising me, and not just teaching me, but being that example, mm -hmm. not perfect, of course, and, and neither was I, but God preserved me from going through a lot of the things that a lot of people go through. I think that's a wonderful testimony, but that doesn't mean life was perfect because not too long after that, I think it was actually the very next summer, I was diagnosed with a disorder called psoriasis and it's a mm. skin disorder. I had real severely, it began to work on me. And I've discovered that that passion that I had for God, that love I had for him, it started to swing the other way kind of like a pendulum that that passion was high but now instead of love per se it was more anger i was mad at god god here i am living for you um, i'm a good kid i'm not getting involved with all the stuff that i see all the other kids doing and now i've got this disease that looks terrible i was embarrassed i wouldn't wear shorts in the summer or short sleeves because I wanted to cover up. And I discovered that as that happened, I began to get mad at God. I'd say, God, how dare you do this to me? I deserve more than this. I thought by hardening my heart, I was going to protect myself from more hurt and more disappointment. But I found that wasn't protection. That was a prison. And it just got worse and worse and worse because we don't deserve any good thing. We deserve separation from God. It was not too long after that, I found myself actually in a hospital. I had some reactions to some medication. We're not sure exactly what all was happening, but I was in the hospital for about a month. Not sure if I was going to live or die. I was married and had a daughter at that time and she's grown now, but so this was back in the early nineties. And I remember contemplating and thinking, wow, if I die, what is my daughter going to think of me? What kind of man of God was I? How will she remember her dad? I began to wrestle with these things a little bit more and had some very straightforward, heart-wrenching, gut-churning conversations with God. 
I did not die. Of course, I'm here today. But I told God, okay, if I can get out of this, I promise I'm going to use this the best I can to serve you, to live for you, be an example, not only to my kids, but to the world around me. And so that's what I did. Again, it wasn't quick. It wasn't overnight. I still battle with the disease today. In fact, it's even developed into psoriatic arthritis, which is another step of it. It is uh, something I, I wrestle with and still struggle with, but I decided to use that or allow God to use that to help me minister to others. And so right after the hospital incident, I started a support group in our area and tried to use it to help minister to other people who are battling the same thing. I started preaching and teaching and in fact, got into ministry. Then I was bivocational. Um, I was associate pastor. So I was working full-time, but also ministry in the church and life went on. I eventually had a, a son, another child. And then along the way, my daughter was diagnosed with psoriasis. And then 12 years later, my son was, I kind of found myself going back to those original feelings that I had. I was getting angry at God again, because it's one thing to mess with me, but yeah. boy, you mess with my kids. Now we got to fight, right? Yeah. So I was getting ready to take God on again. But then I remember I was sitting in the examination room with my son, the doctor had stepped out and I looked at him and I said, son, I am so sorry that this is happening to you now. And he looked at me almost like it was no big deal and said, dad, if you can handle it, I can handle it. It kind of hit me again. Wow. Okay. The way that I handle these situations not only affects me and my relationship with God, but it also will have an impact on those who are watching me, my kids, mm -hmm. my family, my neighbors, anybody coming up, they're going to watch and see how I handle these situations. Am I really practicing what I'm preaching? When he said that to me, it helped me realize, wow, okay, this thing is real. It does make a difference. And I don't know why I'm going through what I go through. I don't know why he has to, but I remember reading a scripture verse. Uh, I don't remember the exact reference off the top of my head, but in Corinthians where Paul says that we are comforted through the tribulations that we go through. And then the, we can take that very comfort that we are comforted with and use that to comfort others. So maybe, just maybe, I'm going through this situation so I can be a help to others. And that's the way I wanted to use it. It's so important. People understand God is greater than all of the things that we deal with in life, mm -hmm. hardships, heartaches, physical issues, and mental and emotional issues, and all those kinds of things. And yet it is very important, as you say, to live out our faith just because God has allowed us to have something in our life. I have type one diabetes. I've had it for 28 years now. God hasn't graced me to take that out of my life yet, but he's given me the grace to manage my blood sugar levels and, and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, not only Christians, but people in the world, people who don't know God experience that same kind of anger and that bitterness sometimes at worst cases towards God. Yeah. A lot of times, well, even in natural disasters, we blame God for all the bad things. What our insurance companies will call it an act of God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we blame God for all the bad things yeah. and we take credit for all the good. And I was guilty of that. I thought, man, I'm really something. And then when things weren't going the way that I planned, I blamed God instead of blaming God, I had to even kind of reference an, another example that Paul gave was he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was, but he prayed for that to go away. Not once, not twice, three times. And God said, no, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
That's what I've had to learn in my life, that God's grace is enough. It's okay. It did cause me to look into the spiritual condition of a hardened heart a little bit more. In fact, I wrote a devotional about it that was based on a sermon series that I preached because I wanted to understand what this physical condition, but uh, more spiritual condition, what it was all about. And so the best example that I could find about having a hardened heart in in scripture was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. We Mm, all know that story. What intrigued me was as I studied it, even again, and I knew the basics as kind of growing up in church, I knew the story. I remember reading that Pharaoh hardened his heart, but then also the Bible tells us that God hardened his heart. That caused me to look at myself and think, well, wait a minute, God, did you harden my heart? Did I harden my heart? What was going on here? What was the dynamic? What was this dance almost that was happening that brought me to this place? And so I did a real in-depth character study of the Pharaoh, the Exodus, trying to find out what was happening in my life. And I was using him as an example. Now, scripture doesn't give us his actual name. Historians have tried to place the name. You will find it in movies and what, but we don't really know for sure. That was another thing I found fascinating. Moses didn't record Pharaoh's name, but he records God's name. Now in our Bibles, usually it's illustrated by the word Lord in all capital letters, but we know that that is used in place of, out of respect, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so we see in scripture, Yahweh is named, Pharaoh is not. Pharaoh thought he was a god. That was the Egyptian religion. Pharaoh was God on earth. The fact that Pharaoh's not named, but God is, and we see this epic struggle begin to open my eyes what was happening in my own life. And the key, what I understood was why a hardened heart happens is because we don't listen to God's word. Pharaoh was a spiritual man. He had faith. He had to. He believed in other gods in Egypt. He did not listen to God's word. In fact, when Moses came to him and said, hey, God said, let my people go. He said, who is Yahweh? Who is he that I need to listen to him? He didn't heed God's word. The same Israelites that watched this epic struggle between Pharaoh and God and Pharaoh hardening his heart and saw all of the ramifications of that, when they're wandering in the desert, they fell into the exact same trap. They hardened their hearts against God. Again, all because they didn't listen to God's word. That's what happened in my life. I stopped listening to God's word. I wanted what I wanted. It was a selfish motivation because I stopped listening to God. I began hardening it to his word. I started going downhill real fast and it took God to break through. I actually had to be knocked down to be made to look up. And when I was in that hospital bed, I looked up and it began to put the pieces together that, you know what? I need to trust God more. I need to trust God, period. Allow him to lead and direct my life. That was the turnaround for me. We see so much of that in today's society. There's just so much emphasis on individuals, TikTokers and YouTubers and influencers and whoever. And they're all trying to become this great person that needs to be respected and followed and blah, Mm. blah, blah. But where is God in all that? Society is just pushing hard against God in all kinds of different ways. And I'm sure you see that in the ministry. What you've gone through in your life gives you an opening to tell people about your experience and help them. What have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen as you've had discussions with people and you've seen them come to faith in God? 
the biggest changes in people over the years. I'm now in my 50s, so I've been around the block a couple of times. I've grown up in the church, and COVID hasn't helped, but we are seeing less and less people engaged in the things of God. People will profess faith. They say they know God. Sometimes they'll use God as a generic term. But when you start talking about Jesus and mm-hmm. that yeah. he's the way, then we start getting a little bit more division, even more than just talking about God. But I found that people are not as engaged. And here in the United States, I'm finding that we are placing our patriotism on the same level, or in some cases, even higher than our Christianity. It's becoming an idol in the place of God. People aren't recognizing it. I've tried to proclaim this over the years. In recent years, it's manifested itself even more. But I do think there's still a hunger for the sincere, for the real, for the true. But see, the problem with the church, I think, is we've talked it. We haven't actually lived it like we should. I believe that the church is really doing its job. We wouldn't need as many governmental welfare programs. We wouldn't need all these other things. If the church, and I'm not talking about organizations, I'm talking about the church is the body of Christ, people. If we did what God's called us to do, I'm not sure we would need all this extra stuff, but we haven't. We've proclaimed it with our mouths. We haven't lived it. And so I think our generations coming behind us have seen that I said, you know what? There's nothing different in the church. You're just like everything else in the world. Why do I want to be a part of that? I want something real, something different, something unique. And so I think there needs to be a revival, true revival happening in the church. Again, not organizations, people in our hearts and our minds to get back to being the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. Even if it's somebody who disagrees with us, all the debates today, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, masks, not masks. My Bible tells me in Christ, there is no male, female, Jew, Greek, bond, free, rich, poor. So can we add to that without violating the word? There's no master, unmasked, or vaccinated or unvaccinated. Right. We, we're all people and we need Jesus. And we've got to get back to the simplicity of the gospel. You're also an author and you've written your books, The Factor Book. Is that the premise for your books? Actually, the premise of my books have been life situations that I converted into sermon series that I've taught. And then I decided hey, let's put this into a devotional type book. So I started off with my first one was called The Elisha Factor, Living the Double Portion Life. And I looked at that concept because in the circles that I have grown up in, I think there's been a misunderstanding what the double portion means. In fact, I've heard people talk flippantly because it rhymes, but I want a double dose of the Holy Ghost. It sounds really good. And we get goosebumps and your hair stands up and it's a great experience. But as I studied what the double portion really means, It's the right of inheritance. Anyone who's born again has that right because the Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. The right of the double portion would always go to the firstborn. He got the double portion of an inheritance. And that doesn't mean he got twice as much as the one before him. Elisha, when he received the mantle, didn't get twice as much as Elijah. That'd be impossible. How can you bequeath twice as much as what you have. You can't, you can only bequeath what you have. So the right of the double portion was the right of the firstborn that made them the legitimate heir. Jesus has the right of the firstborn. The Bible tells us that. 
and that we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus, that double portion then is ours as well. We can live in and with confidence today that we are children of God. We are the sons and we can walk in power and authority in that double portion blessing. It's not something else we have to achieve or receive when we're born again, we have it. As I recognize that, and as I watched the transition of ministry from Elijah to Elisha, I saw a transition that was handled perfectly correctly. Elisha was not looking for next opportunities. In fact, when he was called to ministry, he was plowing a field. He was doing what he was supposed to do. Elijah pulled him away from that. He pulled him away from his current responsibility. He wasn't seeking more fame or fortune. And then he spent the next seven to nine years with Elijah. And then it's a time for Elijah to, to go away. And Elijah actually told Elisha, look, you stay here. I'm going to take this little victory lap, and then you can start your own ministry. And Elisha basically says, no, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I found that fascinating because I see so many people in ministry today clawing and grabbing and reaching and trying to get to that next rung on the spiritual ladder. They'll even push people aside to get to that place of prominence and position of power. But Elisha says, no. I'm with you all the way to the end. Had he not stayed with Elijah all the way to the end, he would not have received the right of the double portion or the right of inheritance. Mm -hmm. He handled that transition correctly. That spoke to my life. And I began to look at the, the life of Elisha a little bit more in depth than what we can learn for our lives today. The Bible tells us the Old Testament was given to us for an example. And so I was trying to pull out examples of how we can apply that to the, the Christian life. So that was my first book. The second one was The Pharaoh Factor, Living with a Hardened Heart. And I spoke about that a little bit already and how yeah. I used my own physical problems and my own hardened heart and how I could learn from that. The last book that I've done, the most recent one, is actually kind of a two-parter. Well, it's a children's book, an adult uh, devotional that goes along with the children's book. It's called Daniel and the Donkey Factor, and that's a story of the donkey that was uh, used by Jesus on Palm Sunday as he made his triumphal entry. I was called to preach on Palm Sunday. I was preaching at that point about once a month as an associate pastor, and it so happened that Sunday was my Sunday that I was called to preach. I'll be honest that my first response was, ah, really Palm Sunday? How come I can't do Easter? Easter is like the Super Bowl of Christianity. Why can't I do Easter? So I thought, okay, I'm going to find some way to bring this story a fresh look. Not that the story needs a fresh look, but I wanted to maybe go a little deeper than I had before. I started studying the symbolism of the donkey. We know that was a fulfillment of prophecy, mm -hmm. but I wanted to see if there was more. There is. There's a lot of symbolism with the donkey and us, our own lives. I wrote a children's book and then the adult devotion to go along with it. Again, based on a sermon series that I preached, it's really right now one of my most enjoyable books. I had a lot of fun with it. I think there's a lot of deep spiritual truths that you can pull out of it. That's called The Donkey Factor, Living a Life Used by God. Another part of my life that I'll share is with the children's book. A lot of our children's stories are stories that talk about a character that has some sort of disability or some flaw that maybe they're made fun of, or maybe they feel like that uh, no one likes them or makes fun of them. And like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, he has the red nose, but he saves Christmas. So we have Dumbo with the big ears. And this book is not about that. This is about an ordinary donkey. And I wrote it for my grandkids. My oldest granddaughter has Down syndrome. What I've discovered is she is a person just like everybody else. God can use her. It's not about her disability. 
God's not concerned about our disabilities, but I also had to realize God's also not impressed with our abilities. All he wants is our availability. And when we offer that, he will use us. So don't be concerned about your disability. Don't get cocky about your abilities. Just be available for God to use. That's the main points of those books. God uses the simple things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to confound the strong. He says a person's gift will make room for them. Yes. Tell me where people can find your books. And then I have one final question for you. Sure. I have a website. It's called thefactorbooks.com. I'm also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other various online bookstores. And so it can be found there. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, The Factor Books. In fact, one of the things I do on a daily basis is I take the verse of the day. Every morning I get up, I've done this now going on four years without fail, sick at work, holiday, whatever. I get up, I read the verse of the day, and I impromptu write a devotional that goes along with that verse. I've done that for, let's say, almost four years. You can also find me there if you want to, and there's no cost to that. You can just follow along and, and comment and interact with us that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final question. What's the one thing that you would tell people about God? One thing is that he's real. I know it's cliche. There's an old song that says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. I was studying recently in Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk asked a lot of questions. In fact, he was known as the prophet who asked the questions. I discovered that no matter what the question is, Jesus is the answer. That may sound simple, but there's an elegance in the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus is the answer. Amen. That is 100% true. He is the answer for everybody in every situation. We Mm -hmm. just need to ask. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Kevin. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and to listen how God's led you through those different things in your life. And God bless you for being here. Thank you very much. It's really been an honor. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Everything you have for me, good and perfect and for free, not for works that I had done, but because your precious son from eternity and died upon the cruel tree and rose again to set me free there's so much more than I can be everything you have for me I want everything you have for me I want everything have for me I want everything you have for me I want everything you have for me Your precious son came here from eternity and died upon the cruel tree, but he rose again to set me free. Now there's so much more that I can be. Everything you have for me, I'll.
hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.